What's good, everyone? Welcome back to My First Kicks. This is episode 142, and this week I welcome Sean Williams to the podcast. He is one half of Social Studies, which is ran with him and former guest D. Wells. Man, it was a huge honor having him on. We talk about, you know, the <laughs> the the beginnings of Social Studies, the beginnings of OSD, their podcast that they used to do, and just a lot of history is being spread. I learned a lot during this episode and you get to see that. And it's just really cool to see what they grew out of just two ideas. And Dee and Sean complement each other extremely well. And they built something really cool that helps everyone. I mean, literally everyone who is interested in sneakers find their lane within sneakers and just make, a career out of it and i find that extremely influential and extremely cool and they're just here to help and i think that is a valuable just key tool that a lot of people aren't really trying to pass out around uh just simply trying not in terms of just gatekeeping how to make it in the sneaker industry but or just you know, working within sneakers and a, a sort of parameter that that revolves around you and and your strengths and and how you can take that to the next level within sneakers. But it's really cool that he's able that they these guys are able, both Sean and D are able to to be able to help anyone who has just a huge passion for sneakers. So having Sean on, we talked a lot about just what got him into sneakers, what, what progressed over time. And then, you know, we connect a little bit over comics in this as well. I will have to, I have to say, you know, apologies, apologies in advance for the audio. I feel like while editing it, I felt like it was just a little bit, not like up to par or, or choppy in my case. I, you know, you get a little bit of the, the, uh, my audio coming through his stuff and and i don't know if i i sounded pretty clear but you know this was recorded before i went to on vacation to vegas and i just wanted to call that out um so if you are if you aren't aware i did go on vacation i go on vacation if and if you aren't following me on the social medias but i ch- i checked out urban necessities in vegas and also another sneaker shop that i didn't catch the name and man, those prices in there are bananas. And I thought Vegas was expensive off the bat, but they they tax you uh, at Urban Necessities. And you know, no shade. I'm not a big reseller guy anyway. So seeing sneakers that I have in my closet just going for like triple, I want to say, uh, how much it was like. I, how triple the times that I've seen in just like regular like re, like New York City resale shops, I was just like, this is wild. So, just wanted to say that I don't think it, it made me it made me not want to buy resale even more. And and it's funny because my nearest resale shop just shut down. So so I, I've never seen any. I've talked about it. You'll probably hear it in the next episode. You'll probably hear or have heard me talk about the sneaker store, the, the sneaker resale shop by me. And I don't know how it made money. And now my answers are 
my, now my questions were answered because it did not make money and they're closed now. So <laughs> let me just say it's wild that that I predicted that really early because <laughs> I there was no way that that store was going to stay as open as long as it did. And it opened in 2020. So shout out to them for making it to almost three years or maybe they did make it to three years. I don't know if it was late 2020 or. 2021 but shout out to them for making it that long because nobody was buying their sneakers but on to where you can find sean you can find him on all social medias as osd underscore paper chaser you can oh, chaser without an e um and also please 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 if you're really interested in sneakers and want to work within sneakers uh using your expertise it does, you you can be, you know, brand new out of college or or working, you know, uh, a corporate job for the past like ten years. Please check out social studies at socialstudies.com. They currently have openings for their October twenty first uh, Saturday classes. I want to say uh, there there's a limited cla- uh, space. It's only a four-week course. It's only going to happen eleven uh, second. Uh, well, November second, the 9th, sixteenth, and the and thirtieth. It's in person, virtual, and hybrid. The social studies will help you learn about the sneaker history. Will help you learn about the history of sneakers. Sorry, and the culture and business and sports and technological perspective from a p- culture cultural business sports and technological perspective my bad but it's very cool you can see you get to learn the ins and outs of what you can do and try to apply your current skills into an industry that you have more passion for because you can be you know selling ads for a pharma company but then you can just translate that into you know, sneakers and this course will give you the chance. I, I, if you're thinking about a career change, I implore you to check this class out. I will leave all the descriptions and links that you will need in the description of this podcast. So please be sure to check that out. And, you know, if you have any questions, hit up Sean. If you add him on LinkedIn, he's very responsive. He's always posting. If you're in the Facebook group, or want to find a Facebook group. It's Obsessive Sneaker Disorder on Facebook. Hit hit it up. He's always posting. He's always there. And we'll answer your questions. If you're unsure about signing up or if you're just steadfast and want to just sign up, you can hit me up. I'll give you as much information I know about the course. It's really cool. There's a physical location now. We talk about that in this episode. So give it a shot if you really are into sneakers. And you know where to find me. I am who is hustle on all social medias. Follow the podcast on My First Kicks Pod. Follow the podcast on TikTok and YouTube. If you're watching this right now, shout out to you if you're watching this. Hit a like, leave a comment, and subscribe to your boy. And please, 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 if you have a chance, rate and review this podcast. It will help me tremendously. Share this with your friends. My First Kicks will be doing a live show at the end of this month well towards the end of this month so if you're in the new york area 
and are interested in coming, hit me up. I will. Well, well, I'm announcing it now, but yeah, I will do my best. I'm trying to do my best to bring a really good, great, amazing previous guest that's been on the podcast. So it's going to be a, a great show. I know it's a lot of information in this intro. I hope you all listen to it. And I hope you are interested in both the school and also the live show. Shout out to y'all. And on to this week's guest, Sean Williams. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. What is going on, my brother? Thank you for having me. Nah, man, it's a big honor. You know, I had D on, and then D recommended you. And, of course, you know, OISD, you know, it's the... Did I say it right, or is it obsessive? OSD. Sneaker disorder. Yeah, yeah, obsessive sneaker disorder. I had it right when I had D on. I had it right, and now I messed it up in front of you. Do you see my wavelength? Because I'm flat on my side. Yeah, yeah, you good, you good, you good. Okay, cool. Um, but you know, I had Dion recommended you, and of course, I had to have you on. I mean, after you commented on the episode, I was like, "Gotta, gotta have Sean on next." And and now we're here. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me here, man. Um, D and I have been on a tear putting some things together for ourselves mm-hmm. over the last almost year now. Actually, September's here, so we set out kind of on a mission last year, November. Mm-hmm. to resume something we started so you know just to give you the timeline of everything you know d and i have been partners in osd since the first sneaker podcast we started in 07 mm-hmm. we sort of ushered in and created this whole wave of podcasts that now exist and um you know we've been friends for you know a couple of years prior to that due to some mutual friends telling us that we should meet and then we finally met at the old flight club on green street oh wow before it moved three other times Mm -hmm. and um shout out to chris vidal one of the ogs from flight club there shout out shout out to chris i want to have him on but he's a he's a i feel like that's gonna be like the craziest episode (laughs) it it will be a crazy one but it'll be a good one he has a lot of gems too Mm -hmm. but you know we all finally met through you know a meeting at flight club and then you know slowly but surely Due to all the connections we had, we got together. He told me to come in and help him on creating this podcast called Obsessive Sneaker Disorder, and I did. And here we are. We just celebrated um, OSD, the company, just celebrated our anniversary on August 27th of 16 years. Yeah. I mean, that's it's amazing. Like, the, the fact that sneakers can bring you guys and keep you guys together for this long, you know, yeah. I, I, lo- I love it. Like, you know... Uh, it, the way that sneakers are now, it's like it's so hard to create the conversation. So you have to like manifest and force it now. So yeah. it's like now, I mean, with this, my goal with this is always to just create a conversation because we've had too many people that create content or are into sneakers and they just only talk about the new stuff. They only the new stuff, the new stuff, the new stuff. They don't pay yeah. homage to anything before. And, and only when the brands tell us to pay homage, that's when we pay homage. And the brands don't tell anyone to ever pay homage. So it's really a, a, a it's really a constant dog chasing his tail to get free sneakers and invited to all the cool parties, which is why, like seven years later, we went from 07 to 2014 with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And that space got so crowded that we just decided to kind of leave that alone and, and do what we always do, which is open the doors and elevate for the business and for the culture. So 
by 2014, we had already done and kicked in the door on an audio podcast. And then I think around 2010, Google reached out to us for us to join their Hangouts platform when it was a video um, platform with like multimedia features and stuff like that. So it was great for podcasting. But then they just kept messing around and tinker with things, Google being Google. And it started disrupting the flow of the podcast. So we stopped the podcast in 2014 on a regular basis. Yeah. We still come back when we get requests to do special episodes. But we like consistently as like uh, every Wednesday night, 930 to 11 type thing. Mm -hmm. Stop that in 2014 because too much going on. So but in that journey, us being the folks that we were and having the content that we had, Mm -hmm. people were listening to our show at the brands and forget how to do their jobs. The Nikes, Adidas, Under Armour, Reeboks, everybody, they had people locked in Wednesday nights listening to us or catching the audio downloads later. Because if if we were in this current time, mm-hmm. with the numbers we had between 2007 and 2010, we'd be millionaires. Yeah. Because we, we were averaging 10,000 audio downloads a week. Jeez. A week. That's wild. Yeah. Right, not at the end of the month. Oh, good numbers for tank. We were doing 10k audio downloads a week mm-hmm. before there was a compensation metrics and ad sales revenue and people putting all of this in to make it more of a business. But we got our just do other ways. We ended up consulting, working, you know, with the brands as consultants, which led to us creating social studies because we started seeing there was a need on both sides mm-hmm. of people out in the street and in the hoods and, you know, the folks in the sneaker community that were part of culture wanting to work in the industry and not knowing how. And then we saw on the other side, the brands didn't even know how to reach those people. Mm -hmm. So that's where social studies came in. We became that cultural bridge to the opportunity on both sides. And it was all non-design based because there were tons of people, you know, even including folks we work with like Penso, Mm -hmm. you know, they're already doing design. That's their lane. They can have it. Yeah. But what about all the other jobs that kick in after the design is done? Mm-hmm. Nobody was teaching that. And we decided to teach that. And we consistently for, you know, our 12th year now have been doing that. So, you know, you fast forward to from 09 with consulting, you fast forward to 2011. We started social studies. And even now we launched two months ago, we launched the Social Studies Community Academy here in Dumbo, Brooklyn, where I'm sitting right now. I so you, your door is always open to you. We are the first sneaker culture and business academy ever anywhere that that's what we're specializing in. We also have um, content creation space for folks who want to create podcasts, audio and video. We also have, you know, a featured art wall and we have what I'm calling the Library of Laces, the Bobito Garcia Library of Laces, named after our friend Cool Bob Love, who without him, there would be no sneaker culture. There wouldn't be, nope. And he also kicked in the door on what is now sneaker media, because he was the first one to write about the professor level sneakers mm-hmm. in the source in May 1991 with Confessions of a Sneaker Addict. Mm-hmm. So our Library of Laces is named after him. Good friend, good supporter. Um, and our library is also Web3 tech enabled. So wow. we have every book in our sneaker 
um, sneaker book library with an NFC chip on the book where when you borrow it, you're issued an NFT. And those NFTs and the books related to them are managed in the blockchain. So to my knowledge, we're the only ones managing a library of books in that way. I mean, so that sounds far. that sounds way ahead. It's super advanced. <laughs> and the goal was with that was to make sure that just like cell phones were scary 20 years ago, mm-hmm. Web3 is scary now. But through implementation, using things that people engage with every day, like art, sneakers, and books, it's not so scary anymore because now they slowly get immersed into what they can do with the technology. Yeah. And like, look at now, somebody loses their cell phone, their world comes to a stop. They Mm -hmm. literally, there's people who get panic attacks when they lose their phone. But 20 years ago, nobody wanted one. They were like, I don't trust this. And then, and then, I mean, I even think about twenty years ago, because it, it seems so close to be honest. Like, but like, just be be able to go outside and then be like, no, you got to come home when the lights is on. That's the only parameter, you know? Right, right. I, that that's the era that I grew up in was no cell phones, mm-hmm. serial killers on the streets, mm-hmm. cars with ashtrays in them, and no and no some no seatbelts in the back, <laughs> or the one seatbelt like just on the uh, front. Just on the front, and then there's there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know what I'm saying. So like, you know, one of the things I like to say now is kids these days, they have pressure with very little danger, mm-hmm. and we had danger with no pressure. Yeah, when we grew up, you know, that's the difference now. I mean, you know, the young generation and folks who are coming up behind us, Gen Zs and everybody else. They're under a lot of stress socially, mm-hmm. like it's, it's so much, you know, for another episode and for a social studies lesson, I'm sure, I guess. But I'll be I'll be there like, in the classroom with that one. <laughs> you know, we so much danger that we were totally oblivious to, because like you just said, the only criteria was make it home by the time streetlights are on. Yeah. Our parents couldn't call us. Our parents couldn't come look for us. They didn't know where the hell we were. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and this is the early infancy days of hip hop. So you're talking about us running around the different blocks and different neighborhoods, you know, b-boy battles, or in my case, I was I was a graffiti artist, so I was mm-hmm. all over this damn New York City. Let me tell you, all over writing on things, spray what, painting. What would what, you write? You know, so so it's 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 hard to see behind me right now, but I in my art I've gone back to my graffiti name, which was Opus One. Opus One. Nice. So, and that's you know name of a very expensive champagne, and um, also the name of a jazz song that I absolutely hate. So <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna go and listen to it. It's the, <laughs> if you've ever been on hold, you'll be like, oh, this is the song that's on hold. Like you're on hold. Oh, okay. I gotta yeah. go check that out. <laughs> New day myself. I like that. So you know, for us, you know, sneakers have been a part of my life. And D's young life, too. Um, we're similar in age. You know, for me, it's been 38 years with shoes now as a sneaker lover and wearer of them. Yeah. And, and someone who's into all the shoes and all the stories, you know. And um, like now with opening the academy, we have our own space to really cultivate good experiences, create good content, and constantly still serve people through education and empowerment. 
And that doesn't even matter the age because our oldest student for social studies has been 62 years old. Mm-hmm. So we really have like run a full gamut of people that we've rocked with and had great experiences with educating, helping people get into the industry, yeah. helping them transition to the industry from other industries, like all of those things we've done. So it's, it's about more than just the shoes for us. We have favorites, you know, we have stories personally connecting us to shoes, of course, or we wouldn't be here this long. But for us, it's really about, you know, using sneakers as agents for change. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that was what it was for me too. Like when I first started collecting. So like hearing that is also super refreshing because you're always hearing like, how do I make money off of this? I feel like after, you know, reselling took over, everybody used sneakers as a way to just resell and make money when before it was a, a form of communication. Like you'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, I can talk to this person here rocking this. Oh, I can like th- I can use this way to talk to somebody or it can be like, oh, tell me the story behind why you need these or tell me the story behind this and that. And now it's always just like, yeah, these are a grill. They're, they're so rare, you know, that I need to have them. And you're just like, that's that's not it. And we watch it <laughs> point where it's not even that anymore. It's like. There's 4 million pairs of black and white panda dunks out on the street. But if you look on the resale platforms, you would think there's just like 500 the way they want to charge for them. Yeah, it's 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 nuts so, the way it is. I mean, the evolution of, of, of you know, sneaker culture and the infiltration of capitalism has happened to other, you know, cultures. It's happened in, you know, cars and mm-hmm. you know, all the other different cultures. Yeah, art. Well, it's it's been there in art from day one, mm-hmm. you know, which that's a totally different conversation regarding like per- perceived value of art and all of that stuff. But I mean, you know, to tie it back in, you're right. Sneakers are wearable art. So anyone that really treats them like wearable art, as in I need to own these, but I'm never going to wear them because they're just so dope. They're so cool. I can't wear these like they're going to treat them like an art piece and never wear them, but we wear as much as possible. Yeah. If I have shoes I'm not going to wear, I'm going to donate them, which, or I have shoes that I've worn and I absolutely hate and donate those too. So <laughs> it's all it's all in how you choose to make these shoes a part of your lives. We make a living off of shoes without having to sell them. Mm-hmm. We make a living off of shoes by leveraging their possibilities and them being a bridge to the actual industry themselves yeah and to educate people on those opportunities that's what we use the shoes for so it's a little different for us in that we're not scooping up shoes because we saw how much they could go for on stock x and go that's mm-hmm. never an option for us i know it's and i mean you know in in Sneaker culture, obviously, we have buy sell trade. You know, like uh, in order to get to the pair that you really want to get to, you take the pairs that you're able to get and then get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I was taught, and I think like that's a, a core value behind it. But like because you want to get to the pair that you wanted that you really want to wear, and but that just got ballooned into oh, I can just take that pair and sell whatever for how whatever and make that money and then use that money for something else. But if ideally you wanted that shoe from the jump then you wouldn't sell it and i think that's that's what i have a problem with like all my pairs that i i wear every single one of mine i probably have maybe like two pairs i haven't worn yet and it's 
it's more because of just like i'm just waiting for that moment of like it, this is the this is this is the moment like it hits me and i'll be like all right today's the day um but it, it's definitely just like you you it loses its luster when it becomes just only about buying and selling you know right. I, I, right. when they're just purely commoditized and they're not seen as the wearable art that they could be in some instances mm-hmm. Or just a dope ass shoe you want to wear because yeah. you saw it, you liked it, and you can put together a nice fit with it or something. Those days are gone. Like, you know, I have a phrase that I say I've been saying since the beginning with social studies, mm-hmm. and it's this: it's kids pay more to look the same now than we ever paid to look different. Yeah, that's one thousand percent facts. <laughs> I that is I believe the same thing too because. It's so wild how, you know, this culture was ingrained in wanting to look different and be different and stand out. And now we're in this era where it's everybody wants to look the same. Everybody wants to, but they want to look the same and definitely spend the most money and tell people Mm -hmm. that they've spent the most money. And that's where, yeah, to look the same. Yeah. You know, I realized, you know, my son just graduated college a couple months ago. Um, but I realized when I was teaching social studies at his high school, you know, and going to school when the day started or either at lunch or either at lunchtime, those are the two times that I would get there and see a shoe that I know released that past Saturday. Yeah. And I show up on a Monday and everybody's got it on. I mean, there's 30, 40, 50 pairs of the same shoe running around the school. And everyone's totally okay with that. Where us in high school, that would nauseate. That would send us home. <laughs> yeah, that is absolute fact. I'll tell you this one story, and and then uh, after that, we'll jump into it. But like the there's one time I have a pair of Melvin SBs because I'm I grew up on like once I once I finally got my own money, it was the SB era, so I jumped straight mm-hmm. into SBs. So. Right. I got a pair of Melvin SBs, and my best friend he also got a pair of Melvin SBs, and we were like, "Yo, we're gonna meet up." Right, we're gonna meet up, and then I did, we didn't tell each other what we were gonna wear. And I pull up, and we had we both were wearing the Melvins at the same time. And oh, I looked man. down, and I looked down, and we were both like, "Yo, this is weird." And we had to we cut the day in half after that. We were like, "No, we had all this stuff we were gonna do," and we were like, "Nah, man, we're not doing this. Like, it's 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 so weird. Like, we're, we're getting out of here." <laughs> yeah, like you you still have the old hip hop spirit because. The rules that govern sneaker culture are hip hop culture rules because sneaker culture comes from hip hop culture. Right. So anything that resembles, you know, those rules to me are what I can rock with. I'm good with, you know, I can't I, have, I would totally not be comfortable with me and you walking around all day in the same shoes. Mm-mm. I'll be like, man, uh, my mom's calling me. I got to go, man. There's an emergency in the house. <laughs> well, we're going sneaker shopping right at that point. I'll be like, OK, which one of us is copping a fresh pair? to wear out the store today right now you know we ain't got to call it a day but if, if one of us got bread like we're literally right now we're going and somebody's copping a fresh pair right now like yo when'd you get paid when'd you get paid for the day you know yeah i mean it's wild you know, we live by you know we had to be original and different even from our closest friends. Mm-hmm. Originality ruled the day. Individuality ruled the day. It was a, you just couldn't. It was not acceptable, you know? Yeah. But 
I get it. Different day and time. Millions of pairs being released. You know, easy for people to get them because that's who they're marketed and pushed towards. Mm-hmm. Things are just geared that way by the brands themselves. They want that because it represents more money for them. So I get it, but yeah, I'm not with it. No, nah, yeah, yeah. But you're here to answer the question. This is hard pivot right into it. You're here to answer the question that I ask everybody each week, and that question is, what's your first kicks? What's that first pair of sneakers you absolutely needed to have? Um, there's two answers to that. So mm-hmm. my mom, may she rests in peace, I made a deal with her, which is how I was able to amass so many pairs of sneakers at a young age. When the average kid would only average two or three pairs a year, a school pair, an after-school play pair, mm-hmm. and that was it, I was able to get five and six and seven pairs of shoes a year because I made a deal with my mom that every marking period, if my grades were good, she would have to get me a pair, any pair that I wanted. But that started with my first, you know, sneaker that, you know, I consciously at 13 had to have, mm-hmm. which was a pair of Puma baskets. Mm. So we're talking very early 80s. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. from there, you know, the deal was on. I was getting my two pair a year as allocated, you know, just like every other kid, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Then my grades would come in every marking period. We have four marking periods a year. So I got four more pairs of shoes. Wow. So now on top of getting four more pairs of shoes, not only do I start working at 14 years old and making my own money, Mm -hmm. I'm buying my own shoes on top of the deal that she still has to live up to. Man, you were killing it back then, man. (laughs) So I'm starting really to like, there's my friends are having two and three pairs a year and I'm doing 20 and 25. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy at that time. It's so wild. But here's the thing, right? Like, you know, D and I, between the two of us, we're easily over 10,000 pair over this 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, you didn't keep them. Mm. There was no reason to keep them. You wore, you beat, you got rid of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it wasn't a thing to keep them all for any reason. Right. They were literally like, if a shoe was beat up, there was no justification to keep it. Mm -hmm. And you beat your shoes up because there was no other option. Once you owned them, you owned them. That was it. There was no wear it once. I don't really like it, so I'm going to put it on StockX and eBay. We didn't have that. Matter of fact, that was one one of the unwritten rules of us growing up. Do not wear somebody else's shoes. Yeah. You don't own. There was no resale market for us because that was like totally non-cipher for us to ever even consider wearing a shoe we knew somebody else owned. Mm-hmm. That's an entire multi-billion dollar business now. It's crazy. Because like even when I, I remember, that was the same idea I had also too. Like my mom was always telling me like, no, you don't buy your shoes. And I was like. Yeah. Yeah, it was like you have to buy new shoes. It's always new shoes. Yeah, yeah, always, always a new shoe. Like if your next door neighbor came by, and like, hey, um, I got these Pumas, didn't really fit me well, didn't like them. Twenty five dollars, they're yours. We'd be like, man, if you don't get out of here with your shoes that you wore, <laughs> don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> now that you offered me that, you weirdo, get out of here. Better move. <laughs> you know so. Just growing up, like I said, there were certain rules and things in place 
that kids today, now all of these things are acceptable. Life is different. So all these things like reselling shoes after wearing and, you know, buying a shoe just to stun on the gram and then sell it and all of this other stuff, that totally was not in our existence. You literally had to have your own. It had to be fresh. It had to be yours until you couldn't wear it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, sneaker donations. Nobody did anything like yeah. that. Now it's all these charities where you can donate lightly used and none of that was around. It was just so you bought a shoe. Time. So you bought a shoe. It was yours. Yeah. That was it. You know. So for me, the Puma basket was that first shoe that I remember consciously asking my mom for, and I got for my birthday. Um, and and I was able to kind of stunt with it because we had a mild winter to some degree that year. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of that answer is the first shoe that I bought with my own money, um, which is a Nike Air Max One from '87. So that was the first shoe I paid for with my own money from working my summer job in Manhattan Mm -hmm. in the Union Square area of Manhattan. And I went through a lot to get it because I bought it from a store named Paragon Sports, which still exists today. Yeah, I've been in there twice and I bought one jacket out of there. And Paragon is a very racist establishment. That's what I've, I've heard. I've heard even like until when I went there, it was it was pretty like, oh, yeah, you don't go there if you're like, if you're you're not white. And I was like, oh, OK, it's very ski and tennis and you yeah. know golf kind of oriented. And, you know, so those are things that, you know, up until, you know, modern times, primarily white people engaged in. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So like technical runners and stuff, we didn't do any of that. At least, you know, the stereotype was black people didn't do any of that back then. So we're talking 87. So when I went in to get the shoes, they wouldn't even let me touch them or try them on. Mm. Like the guy stalled me and stalled me. I had to pull the money out of my pocket and show him that I had the money for the shoes. Still wouldn't let me touch them. And in that store, the registers were upstairs and the shoes were downstairs. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I sent them upstairs for you already. If you want them, you're going to have to go upstairs and pay for them. I was like, but I don't get to try them on. He was like, no, nah, I can't let you do that. So even with the money in my hand, this jerk, because me being the skin color I was, didn't want me to touch the shoes. But he was like, if I got to sell them, I'll sell them, I guess, because he gets commission. Yeah. Otherwise, I, th- I don't think he would have sold them to me at all. But right. got the shoes, got out of the store. I know they didn't match what I had on that day. I did not have on white, gray, and red. <laughs> but I put those on and got back to my neighborhood in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And even to this day, 30 plus years later, nobody has ever reacted to a sneaker I've worn the way they reacted to that shoe. How did, how did they react? How did they react? Cars stopping in the street. I stopped pickup basketball games. People were asking me what happens if they get a flat because the air bubble was there and visible. You know what I mean? Like, it was some great reactions. You know, I'm 51 years old now, and I still remember those actions from a shoe that I bought when I was 15. Man, that's, I mean, that is absolutely nuts. Like, I don't know. Like, that's like, to, for me, in my head, I'm like, yo, I peaked that moment. There's nothing I can be after that. <laughs> I would be chasing that high for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, you know, from a reaction perspective, I've never, you know, wanted to have that reaction ever again. It was just, it was a signifier for me that I was always going to have fresh kicks as part of me being who I am. Like, even if I was on the fence at that point or I've reached a point where, you know, you reach a certain stage in your 20s or whatever where you don't care anymore, 
I never reached that point when it came to shoes because of that moment. Yeah. It's it's wild. Uh, but first, uh, let me read a little description of the sneaker to the listeners here. Um, uh, this is going to be the OG Big Bubble 86. Uh, just like I'm just reading that uh, just for context uh, for everybody. Uh, but I'm skipping most of it. Uh, like the original, this retro release uh, <laughs> features an upper built with a blend of breathable white mesh, gray synthetic suede over overlays and contrasting hits of University Red on the mudguard and signature swoosh. Additional crimson accents land on molded eyelids and Nike Air branding on the tongue and heel overlay restored to its original dimensions and exposed air sole unit nestled in the heel of the white polyurethane midsole delivers a cushion ride. And that stopped cars. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing, right? So the Big Bubble 86 version, uh-huh. I never owned that. I owned the 87 version when they retooled the midsole because the 86 version, the midsole was breaking. Mm. So I never owned an 86 version. I owned an 87 pair because of it. that. Okay. Let me so the Big Bubble comes, comes from 86. 86, yeah. When the first run of them, you know, the feedback was this midsole was breaking mm-hmm. because it couldn't handle the size of the bubble and the way the midsole was construct, constructed. Yeah. So, but the mesh and everything other than, other than that is primarily the same. No, yeah. Uh, I should have read the 2017 re-release, which was... No, fine, because, you know, you put context to the fact that the shoe has two beginning histories. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like there's some people who are the 87 cats with it, and there were a few who were able to snag pairs of the 86. I was never one of those. I didn't want the 86 after I heard what was happening. But the 87 pairs, you know, that was Beatles commercial and all of that. For me, I just had to have them. No, you know? yeah. The, the 87, that 87 pair is like the model that they just put every Air, Air, Air Max 1, 2 right. now, right? right. Uh, yeah, the 87 version is the one that's like the general, you know, model silhouette for collaborations and everything that have gone on over the years. Mm-hmm. But I, I have heard that they're going to be trying to do a few collaborations on the 86 version, but I don't care. Either way, I don't want that shit. They can keep that. I, I still, I, I've only had, I've only had uh, two pairs of Air Max ones. I got the Clot Air Max ones on the Air Max day a couple years ago, and then I had a pair of Giants, uh, Giants colorway Air Max ones. Mm-hmm. Horrible to talk about the Giants right now, but the, yeah. <laughs> the, the those that was a really comfortable pair. It was my first Air Max, and I was like, oh, these are nice, um, but. It, I ne- I didn't know that there was such a huge community around just the Air Max itself. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and the line itself, and yeah. the entire Air Max line itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't learn about it until like way later, and then you know seeing an Air Max day happen, and mm-hmm. uh, people who like it, it made me understand like when when a community is big into one specific model, they will make you know, sneakers to go with the the people that are like go, shelling out for the Air Maxes, you know, for per se, you know, yeah. And, and 
it 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 made me appreciate more of just like like releases that that cater to stuff and and uh or even just like communities that just band together to to make something like Air Max Day happen you know yeah so the i don't know did that spawn just like uh, just like you just buying a ton of Air Maxes after that or was it no because there weren't a ton of Air Maxes mm-hmm. we had the white and red which was for men and the white and blue, which was for ladies, which was back then, the color scheme itself of those running shoes was revolutionary because running shoes were not colored like that at all back then. Mm-hmm. But the blue pair were originally for women and the red pair were for men. You know, these days, of course, that doesn't matter. But back then, those were the specifics. The blue pair was for women and the red pair were for men. Sort of totally revolutionized and like the shock and awe of okay, you're a woman wearing this white, blue, and gray running shoe, and you're a man wearing this white, red, and gray running shoe when running shoes of the day were not even close to those colors. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, I, I wasn't born yet, but, but but I was, I was, I was a couple, I was a year <laughs> after. I was a year <laughs> after. <laughs> you heard. Yeah, I was, I was told. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was only one pair out of the four you were getting that quarter. So yeah, like, we had tons of brands. So, yeah. you know, to answer your question, those were my two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, the Puma Basket and then the Air Max One from 87. And, um, like, after that, it was just like whatever was dope and was out and I wanted, I got. I worked for it. I made sure I was a good-ass student to make sure that I had my extra four pairs a year not being paid for by me. And then I had up until I got my job. What was that first job? So that job was working with my father in Manhattan, cleaning up parking lots in Manhattan. His company had five parking lots in Manhattan. And it was my job every summer to come with him and clean them up. Like we're talking about a couple of them were football field size. And it was my job to clean them up, keep them clean. You know, the days of outdoor lots are, are long gone now for the most part, mostly, but like back then in Manhattan, there were a lot of outdoor lots where debris would just fly all over from everywhere. People throw shit out their cars, all of that. So the the work was steady. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something to do. <laughs> yeah, it was always the work those summers. I looked forward to those summers making that money until um when I got to high school. And when I got to high school, I became a foot messenger. Oh. And even then, now you're always walking around. So now again more kicks so i've always been working since 14 years old to now always and that's where the money has always come from to constantly buy and buy and buy shoes and gear and and that was just like the main purpose with with it like you're just like i'm gonna spend this money on sneakers and well that was all i needed to spend it on until i got my own place and then it you know kind of trickled off a little bit to a moderate pace but i don't think i've ever had a year where i've bought less than 40 or 50 pairs of sneakers yeah i've never had a year where i've bought less than that mm-hmm. um so like you know you're 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 a part of the the beginning of you know sneaker culture in new york city but like what was we know what sparked it off but like what were, where were you doing during that time where like were you being able to to jump into it with like you know legendary people like Bobito and and 
There was you know? no sneaker culture like that back then. There wasn't. We were all in our respective spaces doing our thing. I was a graffiti artist, you know. Bob Summerlin aged to me, slightly older, you know, was probably playing basketball, you know. He ultimately ended up in the music industry. You know, he tells the story well in terms of, you know, well documented in terms of his beginnings in music and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, but we've never crossed paths until, you know, maybe 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know. And um, it's like that with a lot of people that once things changed to the point where being into shoes became more social after, you know, I hate to say it this way, but after the turn of the century, that makes it sound so old, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it makes it sound really fucking old. But, you know, like after the 2000s, when it became quote unquote sneaker culture, if you will, that's when it was a more social nature to all of this. And we all started mingling and going to events and seeing each other and, you know, all of those things related to what the early 2000s were for being in the shoes, we were all starting to get together. No, yeah, I mean, I had Dante Ross on the podcast and he talked about, you know, going up to the Bronx to get uptowns and, and you know. The Jew mans. Jew mans. I, I was going to, I thought I was going to say the name wrong, so I just went the Bronx. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the the iconic, you know, were you part? Were you able to partake in like the rise of uptowns and the like how they are, you know, glorified today? I wouldn't say take part in the rise of uptowns because they were just another shoe to us. Because you gotta remember, in the eighties, early eighties, Nike wasn't a big deal. You know, the the brands that ruled the day were Pro Kids, Adidas, Puma, Pony. You know, then you had other brands come in other sports. Like, you know, when it came to tennis, we were wearing shoes like Prince mm -hmm. from Prince, the racket makers. They had shoes, you know, and LS, the Italian brands, Lotto, you know, even Bally of Switzerland. Like we had different models and styles of shoes. Sergio Tacchini had the sweatsuits and the shoes mm -hmm. and Fila had sweatshirts and sweatsuits and shoes and there was such a diversification of what you rock just to be fresh. Nike was not at all big like that mm -hmm. at all. And like, even now, like, you know, you see Nike putting money behind celebrating 50 years of hip hop. They weren't there in the beginning. No, yeah. Maybe one or two from Nike was there in the beginning. And that was the Cortez mm -hmm. because the Cortez was lightweight and made out of nylon. So the B-boys liked it for dancing, mm -hmm. but the rest of Nike had no role at all in hip-hop in the beginning they weren't there the other brands i mentioned dominated because the ball players were also the cats going to the park jams right and everything because basketball and park jams took place in some of the same places mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying so there was always this space where hip-hop culture and the shoes co-mingled and they were also chosen to be a part of hip hop because they were anti-establishment. So, yeah. you know, hard bottom and dress shoes, you know, sure. There was a couple of brands that had their role in the early days of hip hop, Playboys, British Walkers, but sneakers dominated what it is to be into hip hop. There's no question about it. So, you know, we just had so many different brands and styles and things. And, you know, this whole thing now, you know, I've saw, I think it died down now, but there were a few years where people were getting mad at kids for wearing Adidas track pants with Jordans. Yeah. We did that. 
We yeah. mix brands because the colors of one brand's jackets and pants matched our shoes better than the colors of the brand themselves that made it. Right. Or the material was better. Mm-hmm. Or based on the way we we're putting the outfit together, maybe the Adidas jacket does go better with this particular pants from this other sportswear brand or vice versa. Like we were curators of things based on that. We knew how things fit. We knew what colors matched colors perfect. We customized shoes. Like we did all of those things in an effort to be individuals. So folks get mad, oh, Adidas track pants with Jordans, that's nauseating. That's a cr- shut up. No. I mean, there, there was one time, and I, I, t- I think I told the story because I live next to a mall. So I, I usually like I walk through the mall and I had on Adidas track pants. I had sweatpants and then I had mm-hmm. on my, my, my bacons with my that's my like walking shoe. So I put mm-hmm. on. So I'm like walking. I hear somebody go, yo, yo. And I just kept going because I knew it was a kid who was going to be like, why are you wearing Adidas's with Nike's? Like, and I was just like, you know, like I was just like, it's, it's, I'm just walking. Like, I'm, go- I'm not, it's not like I'm going to the club or something. <laughs> but, but in older generation, people criticizing that, you're not remembering where you came from because yeah. we all did that. Mm-hmm. It's all about what, what matters. That's one of the things I do with social studies is remind people that. None of this shit is new. Hip hop did it all. So if you're gonna act brand new with it, you're obviously not remembering what it was like. You know, to if you're gonna go that far to like criticize certain things you see without checking to see the backstory behind it, because I mean, it was rampant. Like five to six, six, five, five to seven years ago, that's all you saw was Adidas Toro track pants with Jordans. That's all you saw. And we were like, and that was before Nike Tech really, you know, grabbed hold. And even now, if you wear Nike Tech suits, you're a scammer or you're up to no good. <laughs> Nike Tech suits come with a stereotype. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all of these things to consider before you open your mouth. And our generation, we were aware, we, we, we knew all of these things. So if you see a young kid who obviously 10, 15, 20 years younger than you, in some cases, 30, and you look at him like, oh, man, you, you got the Adidas with the Jordans? Why would you do that? Like, huh, you forgot everything. You just forgot everything. Because that kid is the same kid who was you who said the Adidas pants fit better than the Nike pants and go better with these shoes. Yeah, I I don't get it. I mean, people are getting on people for wearing, you know, Nike socks with Adidas shoes or and it's it's like all this brand loyalty. Like, where at what point? Where where did the brand start paying you for brand loyalty at that point? Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we're at that point where we, you know, even though we buy sneakers, you know, the phrase is we, you know, sneakers pay us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's our existence. Sneakers pays us. So, and we bought enough sneakers over the last couple of decades to have a say so. On when they do things good and when they do things bad. Oh yeah, and, and that's at the strength of where we are with OSD and social studies. Yeah, it, that's the one thing, and I mean, I've talked to people about it for a while now. Like, I don't understand how some people will shell out money in order to like they'll pay the extra amount of money to get a pair early to review the pair, put it online, and then like just to help, yeah, and just to help the brand sell it. I don't I it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't make sense in my mind and I guess maybe I'm just not 
an elite marketer or something like that because it, it if the brand wants me to help them sell it then they should be offering me a chance to be like you know hey work with us you know yep. and if you're shelling out thousands of dollars each week just to make you know 500 views and those views are not paying you like it's it's not worth it yeah but things are different this is the era that we're in you know the sneaker industry isn't for me you know i'll be the first one to tell you people like oh you've been around it so long it's been your passion this ain't my industry i'm out here trying to get it passed along to other people we're trying to get this thing into the hands of the next generation responsibly so that they can continue the work that we're doing and know exactly what it is they're buying and why things are the way they are. That's yeah. really all we're living to do. This sneaker industry is not for us. Nobody's sitting around unless they're at Rockport, Easy Spirit, making a golf shoe or a technical running shoe. There's literally nobody sitting at a company making a shoe for a 50-year-old. No. I Other mean, the categories I just mentioned. There's maybe somebody. Or, or if you work for Skechers. Well, I don't know. Snoop Dogg is selling uh, uh, Bored Ape sneakers now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> what at, at what point in like you know your sneaker journey where you were like I'm a I'm a start you know trying to figure out a way to 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 work within sneakers. Uh, it came organically through the talk show. We didn't know what we were doing when we wanted to start the talk show, but we were open to the opportunities because. The wild popularity of the talk show, which people said we were stupid to create or crazy to create, opened up this entire world that here we are 16 years later. It all started with our podcast. Mm-hmm. Where, where did the inspiration for the podcast start? D's crazy ass. <laughs> just D just being like, we should just we should record this? Well, D had always believed that there was another level of expression for being into shoes. Mm-hmm. And when he was with Soul Collector, because D is one of the founding members of Soul Collector magazine before it became SoulCollector.com and, you know, what it is today under the complex banner, mm-hmm. you know, he ended up being out of there and starting OSD after, you know, years of frustration with certain things that were happening while he was with Soul Collector, Collector and the way the industry was going. So when he bounced and we met and established OSD, these were things that he already wanted to do that just couldn't get done due to a whole lot of politics and things over at Soul Collector. So he did it. We did it. And it just took off from there. We were taking it seriously. I was doing running shows every week, passing them out to cast members. And when we had guests on, we were booking guests and prepping guests and mm-hmm. you know, setting up logistics and all those kind of things, running a real show. It's the, and people had no clue we were running a real show. I mean, I got to it late. I got to it. I found the Facebook group like, I think, four years ago, five years ago. Um, so I didn't get to be p- part of the like the rise of OSD, which is well, so now you got the podcast, so you need to hit that group and post every chance you get. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be hesitant. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't want to just be like, hey guys, you know, and nobody knows me. Nope, jump in there. We got to get things started in there. We got a couple thousand members. Mm-hmm. Get things started. I mean, we started everything to build community mm-hmm. and give a voice to people that didn't have a voice because back then when you were in the shoes like that, you know, if you're a woman, you were in the sneakers back then, they said you were a lesbian. If you were a, a guy in the sneakers back then, you may not have been like, you know, 
a, a gay male, but something was off with you. Mm-hmm. You know, these were like the stereotypes of stuff that prevailed in the early 2000s around folks when you said, oh, I'm into sneakers. That's all I'm into is sneakers. <laughs> you know, I love sneakers. And people would be like, <laughs> I, I remember know? that. I remember those days perfectly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, they give you a couple of steps back like, oh, you're in this shoe. And if you, if it's not a Jordan, especially if it's not a Jordan, and then be like, "What are those?" and you get those weird looks, like well, I, early two thousands, it was all. You look at all the websites that were out back then: the Shoe Game, Nice Kicks, Sneaker News, all those from back in the early two thousand. That's all they covered were Nike and Jordan. Every now and then they'd break it with a, you know, break it up with a post about Adidas, mm-hmm. but it was all Nike and Jordan back then. And we refused to talk about Nike and Jordan on our show when we started it. We look. We were started. We started the show in 07, and our original logo is the bottom of an Air Force One, because that was the 25th anniversary of Air Force that year, and Nike botched that entire campaign up so badly. Mm-hmm. There's still shoes floating around to this day, dead stock pairs of 25th anniversary Air Force Ones that were never sold. That's, I mean, the, the real definition of dead stock, not the, yes. <laughs> not the. The super real definition of dead stock. Absolutely. Yes. That That is wild. Because, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Was that the laser etch pair? No, the... that was, they, they came out with so many pairs of shoes. We're not talking about this. We're just talking about, we're talking about the entire 25th anniversary campaign. It was done wrong. And we hated it. And, you know, there are a few shoes that came out that were dope. But they put out so many things that just was unnecessary. Because it was the 25th anniversary of the shoe, and oh, uh, I, this is when they started doing the. Uh, it looks like it's with the. It's like a hybrid shoe. And it's well, got, you're talking about the actual Air Force 25. Yeah, that yeah. Not there, but we're talking about Air Force Ones. Ones they put out so many, mm-hmm. they botched it, you know, and uh, that was actually the inspiration for the first podcast mm-hmm. was giving a voice to that for people who we knew felt the same way we did. I mean, it, it's it's wild that the Air Force has so much history, and I mean now it's I don't even know if it's now even considered getting a resurgence, but they're they're even talking about yeah, it's not getting a resurgence. It's gaining presence on the shelves again, obviously, but it's not getting a resurgence. I wouldn't say that. They they talked about they're re-releasing the UNOs, uh, cherry blossom. And yeah, that was the first shoe I paid a thousand dollars for. Oh, really? And I only owned it. I only owned it one day. Why? Because I hated it. I, I I got stuck in a moment for a minute where I felt like I had to have that shoe because it was a shoe to have, and I had to quickly readjust myself to get back to who I am. And I sold that shit the next day. <laughs> but it's a good looking shoe. Yeah, but the other thing is I don't really like pink like that. I get that. I get that. The at all. I don't like pink at all. You will never see me in pink ever anywhere. I like pink. I I think pink is is a cool color when it's when it's mixed in with other stuff. Like you can you can put a nice pink fit together, but yeah, not like Cameron, not Cameron style though. Listen, you pull it off, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? I've just never been into pink. It's just not my color. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I one of my one of my favorite posts that you posted is, and I'm looking at them, is the X Men uh, Air Max ones that you you created. Uh, the 
Yeah. yeah. The like, well, the inspiration. What is the inspiration behind? Like, were you always into comics during that? And then you were like, let me just do that together. Those are my. Those. That's my favorite superhero group. Is the Uncanny X Men, the original X Men from the sixties. Mm-hmm. So. Like their original colors of their uniforms and everything, I try to do that color scheme on all the shoes I've done. Nightcrawler was my first ones I did for our anniversary that year. Um, sold 30, 30, 30 to 40 pairs of those. We put out orders and wildly popular. Um, people love that Nightcrawler Air Max one. And then I was under the assumption at some point Nike would copy me on that color scheme, but they never did for the Air Max. And um, like, even now, that shoe is like the stuff of legend for folks. Like, oh, that Nightcrawler, that's crazy. Like, And then I just carried on the series. But the Nightcrawler wasn't the first one. The first shoe I actually did was an Air Force mm-hmm. for Professor X mm-hmm. that I did in 2008. Wow. And then there were a whole other series of shoes that I never had a chance to actually make. And starting in 2018, I picked up the series and started making them again. So... You know, Nightcrawler's there, Xavier's there, Cyclops is there. I think I have Beast right here. Yeah, Beast is right here. Beast is right here. I do boxes and everything. So these are the... Actually, Beast is home. Beast is home. These aren't Beast. These are... And you're getting a sneak peek right here. These are the 16th anniversary pair of... OSD's 16th anniversary, we did the Air Max 90 for this one. Oh, wow. Those are clean. Is that, I want to say, Rogue? Um, no. These are just general X-Men colors. I didn't give a character to this one. I just wanted to go general overall X-Men. Just, you know, again, to pay homage to the original uniforms. Mm-hmm. Those are you sick. Know? Yeah. So that's my my my... 16th anniversary X-Men shoe. You've, you've seen it here first. It hasn't been seen anywhere, actually. So you've seen it here first. Exclusive. But I did Cyclops. I did Beast, Nightcrawler, Charles Xavier. Um, these. And I'm trying to remember. Oh, so coming soon will be one of the X-Men that nobody ever really thinks about. And that's Silver Surfer. Oh, Iceman. Ice. I'm looking at him like Silver Surfer. <laughs> I was like, oh, what was it? Silver Surfer is Iceman. Iceman. Yeah. Iceman's an original X-Men. Yes. So those will be next. That's dope. I mean, I can't. That's got to have an icy soul in the bottom. That's all I know. Well, maybe, maybe not. Because the theme for all of our shoes have always been gum bottoms. Mm-hmm. We do gum on every theme sneaker we do. Yeah. That's our thing, John Yeah, I, I do want to talk about that because I recently made a video because uh, my friend said that on a video he said he doesn't like uh, gum bottoms. And to me, I think gum bottoms are like one of the most iconic bottoms in my in my eyes. Like, there was like, I mean, I don't know if you know about like, there was a time where people were like, you're not a sneakerhead unless you're, and then they gave you rules and you had to have like a mm-hmm. pair of, Air Max, Air Max 90 infrareds. You had to have like, you know, yeah, I heard all, those all, rules, all yeah. those rules. But one of them was like, you have to love gum bottoms. And <laughs> I saw out of that, like, like out of like growing up into sneaker culture like that, like you was just like, 
my love for gum bottoms always started with like a pair of like Air Max ones. Like the Air Max one gum bottom was like iconic to me. So I always mm-hmm. loved gum bottoms. But I don't know. Did were you like did that? Does that fall in line with your love for gum bottoms? No. <laughs> my love for gum bottoms started from when I started doing like you know the years of Nike ID and you know because. I go back to the early days in the beginning with Nike ID before it became Nike by you. So um, when you used to go to 255 Elizabeth Street in Manhattan to go get your special pairs done, you know, it was an appointment. It was an experience. You sat down, you got a lot of options and things. And like for me, gum bottom always set off whatever I was making, Mm -hmm. you know, and it always ends up like really elevating the soul of the shoe to me on top of what you did with the upper and the midsole. So for me, you know, they've always worked and my head has always been geared towards when I do something, when I cook something up, you know, a gum bottom is going to have to be there. Even if not fully, it's going to partially have to be there. The, the 21 Mercer, man, they, I don't know, like I wasn't able to make a, uh, my own pair there, but like I've heard nothing but legendary like stories. Oh, yeah, the the bespoke room there. I mean, I've never paid $720 for an Air Force or anything close to that for that. And I refuse to. But, you know, I do know a lot of people who did spend a lot of money there before they shut that down. But I've always been one of those people who I can take what you put in front of me and I can tell a good color and material story on shoes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't need the exotic skins and, you know, extra things for the lining and if I wanted all of that, then I would go get all those other pieces later and then add that to the shoe. Get wax cotton laces, get custom lace braids, do a custom box and stuff myself. I didn't need Mercer to do that for me because I knew that they were just straight. 720 plus tax, you're almost at $1,000. Yeah. And a lot of people going there and doing Air Forces. I have never seen an Air Force, even the Uenos when I bought them. I've literally never personally seen an Air Force that is worth a thousand dollars. Especially because, like, DJ Clark Kent says, you only get like two airs out of them. So <laughs> well, he meant the white on whites. Yeah, yeah. You know, which to him is the perfect sneaker. But uh-huh. you know, a white on white Air Force is now one hundred and ten dollars in the store. Mm-hmm. They used to be like sixty-five dollars. Yeah. Now it's one hundred and ten. It's double almost. It's it's the price goes up, man. The price keeps going up. Like even now with more recent Jordan releases, like they're like creeping us, they're creeping everybody towards to three hundred, close to three hundred, almost like I think what the it was like those Bordeaux fives that came out. They were like two two twenty five, and then as as it keeps going up, like you're we're just getting closer. I mean, the most I've ever paid for a pair of sneakers was two fifty because I don't I don't really pay resale, I, mm-hmm. like. And then those are just off-white fives. And so imagine if off-white fives came out two, in the next two years, it'd probably be like 350 you know, it's Or whatever else they see online that people are willing to pay by looking at StockX and GOAT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, inflation. And the way that the sneakers keeps rising, we're definitely going to be out of money even faster. <laughs> Not me. Well, that many sneakers anymore. Like, I, w- wow. I was going to ask you, like, what... Like, were you like, did you at one point, did you like switch off of just what brands are giving us? And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to just do what I want to do. And are you still still copping? 
currently. I've always done what I want to do. And then I have three kids, so I'm always still buying. Well, two of them are grown now, so I ain't buying them shit no more unless they ask me for a birthday present or something. But, like, I've had 20 years of raising children, 20-plus years of raising children who depended on me to buy their shoes. So every now and then I see stuff for me that, you know, as an exhibition curator, I feel like I have to have be a vintage or brand new. But if it tells a story that I think I need to tell as a curator, I'll buy it. But I'm not walking out of my house in the morning after seeing some shoe on the Internet going, I must have those. Mm -hmm. Those days are long gone. (laughs) Man, Sean, I do ask one last question before we 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 jump up out of here. And that yeah. question is I want you to think back to that time before you're about to open the let's go with the the Puma baskets. Before you're about yeah. to open the Puma baskets, right? Yeah. Uh, now you're you this age behind yourself. I, what would you tell your younger self as they open that box? Great question. I've never been asked that. Um I can tell you what I did tell myself. Mm-hmm. I told myself, today is your birthday and you are going to be fresh. <laughs> That's today is the day. Put these joints on and hit the street. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what I told myself that day when I put them shits on at 13, you know, and, yeah. and stepped out on the block in East Flatbush. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it's hard for me to revisit who I was back then because. I actually had it pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like my sneaker journey, I don't regret any of it. I like how everything played out. You know, me making the deal with my mom, you know, me getting the ambition and desire to work at 14 and 15 mm-hmm. and to, to buying shoes with my own money. I don't have anything to tell my younger self. I really don't because like that younger self got me here. Yeah. Love that. I love that, man. You know, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, can you let, cause you didn't let anybody know where to get you. And uh, so let, plug your All stuff. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, the best places to get me and to get in touch with us with what we're doing on the Academy is um, on LinkedIn. We have a group on LinkedIn. It's social studies community Academy as social as S O L E C I A L. So Social Studies Community Academy on LinkedIn. And then there's me on LinkedIn, Sean Williams. And then on Instagram, we also have the Academy's Instagram, which is socialstudies.ssca. So that's socialstudies.ssca. And then my personal Instagram, which is osd underscore paper chaser, which chaser spelled different. C-H-A-S-R. Damn you, Nike. Couldn't let me throw out the whole damn thing back then. That's another story for part two. Um, but yeah, those are the best ways to reach me. LinkedIn, you know, with our group, my personal connection, and on Instagram, on both of our Instagram handles. No, yeah, yo. Thank you so much for jumping on, Sean. And for everybody out there, you know what we say each week? Wear your kicks. Peace. Yep. Hashtag wear every pair is what we put up. Oh, wear every pair. pair. Wear every pair.